Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So here are three, the first three signs that you are authentic, that you're for real, that you're true, and truly a disciple of Jesus. He says, if you abide in his word, that's the first sign you're his disciple. The second, you shall know the truth with absolute assurance and surety. And then the third, the truth shall make you free. The truth sets us free. Reality sets us free. In today's broadcast, we have a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, Free Indeed. We are in John chapter 8, and we will take up in verse 31 and go through the end of this chapter. Now, this is a powerful set of scriptures as Jesus deals with the disbelief of the Pharisees and calls them out on their disbelief in a way they probably had never before faced. So let's listen in. As you find your way to John 8:33, I'm going to begin reading at 8:31, so you can look back up a couple verses and you'll see why in a moment. There in John 8:31, and we concluded with this last time, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered saying, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Last time, the truth shall set you free. This time, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So free indeed, that's the title of our study today. Well, we ended last time looking at the first three of seven signs of a true or authentic disciple. I didn't mention that because I knew we would be revisiting it in our introduction. So here are three, the first three signs that you are authentic, that you're for real, that you're true and truly a disciple of Jesus. He says, if you abide in my word, that's the first key. If you continue in the word, you remain in it, you ingest it, you digest it, you meditate on it, you're cleansed by it, nourished in it, refreshed as well, renewed, restored, all the things the word can do, and there are so many more. He says the key is abiding in it, letting it take root within you and keeping your roots in the word of God. He says that will be the first sign to you and to others that you are his disciple, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, desiring to be like him, walking in obedience to him. And then he says in verse 32, when we read it, and you shall know the truth. That word know we mentioned last time. It means to experience the truth, not just to be able to comprehend it or apprehend it intellectually or philosophically, but to walk in the truth. Truth, by the way, can be defined as reality. And so there's what's real and there's what isn't. There's what's true 
and there's what isn't. And he says, you'll, if you abide in his word, that's the first sign you're his disciple. The second, you shall know the truth with absolute assurance and surety. And then the third, the truth shall make you free. The truth sets us free. Reality sets us free. And so we abide in his word. We know the truth. The truth sets us free. Then they, in response to that, say, verse 33, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? I'm amazed by Jesus' patience. And then I'm amazed by his focus. He never gets sidetracked. I often do. I don't even need someone to sidetrack me. I do it to myself. But Jesus, he hears this challenge to what he's saying, and he doesn't even flinch at it. He just wants them to know that, that, that his word can set them free. The truth can set them free. His word is all that really matters here. Now, they make a claim that's absolutely ludicrous. They say, we've never been in bondage to anyone. On our Wednesday evening services, we're going through the book of Exodus right now. And uh, we're in that section. We just looked at the first five plagues this week on Wednesday. We'll look at the next four and we'll look at the setup for the 10th and final plague that will set Israel free from where? From bondage in Egypt to Pharaoh. They were in bondage in Egypt, but they were also slaves to the Assyrians and slaves to the Babylonians and slaves to the Medo-Persians and slaves to the Greeks. And at the time they make the statement, they're enslaved by the Romans. They're under Roman rule and oppressed severely by the Romans. So I'm amazed that Jesus doesn't even mention what they're saying because he wants to get to what matters to him. And he wants them to know, well, he says it in verse 34, he answered saying, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Rather than arguing if they'd ever been enslaved, he says, you are slaves today because the one who commits sin and lest anybody freak out and think, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a slave of sin, not necessarily. Because if you commit a sin and you confess that sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He begins to uh, deal with you just as if you'd never sinned. It's that word justified. He deals with me just as if I'd never sinned. And that's true for you as well. So whoever commits sin, it's in a tense and in a sense that's saying in an ongoing way, in an unrepentant way. We all sin against God because we all sin against one another. But there was a time for many of us when we boasted in it and reveled in it and bragged about it. And, and then we came to Christ and we were ashamed of it. Didn't even want to speak about it. And, and, and that's the difference, you see. Everyone sins, but when I sin, I'm immediately asking forgiveness. I'm saying, Lord, don't let me go down that road. Keep, keep me aware of your presence. And, and when I have a thought, before I even say the word or commit the act, Lord, don't let me go that far. I don't want to sin against him, but I still sin. He's talking about the one who not only does it, but is fine with it. And he's saying, if your lifestyle is one of committing sin, 
Well, failure to confess will cause you to just add sin to sin and sin to sin and sin to sin. And since freedom comes from knowing and walking in the truth, and that's what he just said, abiding in the truth, believing the lie that joy or contentment or happiness or fulfillment, freedom, they come from doing your thing not walking in truth, but not abiding in him, but, but yielding to our own sinful nature, our fulfilling our own selfish desires. Listen, rejecting God's will for our lives leads to bondage. And so many of us have experimented in the past and especially in our younger years with things that we thought we would just try only to find that those things became a bondage to us, enslaved us. And uh, so all of this reminds us that Satan had promised Eve that disobeying God would lead to exaltation and revelation. He didn't frame it like that. He's like, hey, you shouldn't believe God. Believe me. But God said, in the day you eat that fruit forbidden to you of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Satan comes and says, you're not going to die. And he accuses God of trying to keep her from something that would be great for her. God was, in fact, trying to keep Adam and Eve from an experiential knowledge of sin and shame and pain and suffering. Everything that comes as a result of sin, he didn't want them to experience it. So in that, the enemy was speaking truth. He's just trying to keep something from you. But Satan was painting it like God's trying to keep you from something great. No, so, so, so what's his promise? Exaltation. You will be as God. It's the same lie Satan told himself. I will be as God. He knows he failed to accomplish that, of course, but he still tempts others and still uses the same lie to do it. That, by the way, is the, um, is the exaltation. You could be exalted. You could be like God. And then he says, knowing good and evil, that's the revelation. And again, God never wanted them to experience sin. So what did she experience? Exaltation? No, not exactly. Sin, separation, sorrow, suffering, shame, death. It entered immediately, and her first sin led to a lifestyle of sin, and here's how quickly things degenerate. They went from a perfect environment with a perfect partner to be married to for life, to, with perfect parenting and, uh, and everything that they could ever need given to them, provided for them. There was only one law to break, only one prohibition. And somehow they managed to do it. And we're like, what's the matter with them? But I'm pretty convinced that if we'd been there, we would have failed as well. Well, anyway, bottom line, we don't get off the hook because we're born with the sin nature. But we do need to realize they were created without that nature. And they chose to sin. We know it was a choice because God said, in the day you eat, you'll die. Satan said, you're not going to die. Somebody was lying, and guess what? God never lies. And Satan is the liar and the father of lies. He's rooted in lies. So her sin led to a lifestyle of sin. She has two boys early on. One of them ends up murdering the other. That's how quickly things 
degenerate when we live in sin. When instead of confessing and asking forgiveness, she blames the serpent and he blames her and God who gave her to him. Listen, if we confess our sin, not if we confess they made me do it, there's no forgiveness in that. There's no restoration after that. They blame shift and they continued in their sin. Well, a slave, he said, does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Listen, for freedom, he set us free. Yes, those who serve him, his sons and daughters, well, we serve them as sons and daughters. And in every household, the kids are called to walk in obedience to their parents and, and to honor and, and respect their parents. And he's our, our heavenly father. But, but get this, because it's oh so important. The disciples who become apostles and write, well, the, the good portion of the New Testament, um, the, those guys, they call themselves bond slaves of Jesus Christ. They weren't enslaved by Jesus. They chose to serve him. And the word bond slave means just that, a servant by choice. We chose to serve our own sin nature and found the destruction that results from it. And now we've been given the choice. We choose to serve the Lord. But we do it as sons and daughters of God. We're not slaves of God. We're sons and daughters serving our God. And by the way, here's why that's so important to us. In Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They say, Lord, 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 Lord. He says, we never had that relationship. You never knew me like that. And I don't know you like that. Why? They were never submitted to him. They were just doing stuff for him. They'd never entered into a relationship where calling him Lord rung true. So why does that matter to us? Because we can hear the truth and we can believe it. We can affirm it. We can even share it and still be dead in trespasses and sin. The truth doesn't save us because we believe it. It, it. it saves us because we receive it, because we take it in and it takes root and produces fruit. That's what he means when he says, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I know, he says, verse 37, you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. They were descendants of Abraham physically, but not spiritually. How do we know? Abraham walked by faith. Abraham walked in obedience. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. These guys aren't doing any of those things. He says, I speak what I've seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. And whenever Jesus speaks of God, he's speaking of the father who sent him. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Listen, he's contrasting their faith in their ethnicity and their relationship physically with, well, Abraham himself, whose relationship was personal, was real. It wasn't something fabricated in their minds or in his. Jesus is actually telling them they're illegitimate children spiritually. And their response is radical. They said to him, we, emphasizing the we, were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Listen, the implication is impossible to miss. They're not straight out saying you're born of fornication. They're saying we weren't born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus is one with the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What I do, it's what the Father does. And, and, and so he is, we're told in Hebrews, the exact representation of the Father. He is the perfect image of the Father because the Father's spirit and those who worship him, Jesus taught us in John 4, must worship in spirit and in truth. But when we see Jesus and we observe him and we listen to him and we know what he's about, we know exactly what the Father is about. So they're actually making a pretty radical accusation. It was meant, by the way, to shame him and to enable them to regain the higher ground, you see, as undefiled spiritual leaders. They accomplished neither. And here's why. There were two kinds of people listening in, people who would have been well, influenced by them and people who are listening to them and listening to Jesus. And they're like, these guys are kind of haters. And uh, Jesus, he's a lover. These guys, they, they seem to want to take him out. And he seems to be reaching out to them. And it's just not seems to be. He was trying to convince them, not win arguments, convince them that everything he was telling them was true. Why? Because he came to save them from their sins, from themselves, but they weren't having it. So I want to say the only shame Jesus ever felt, he felt on the cross. He was never ashamed because he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. But on the cross, he bore our sin and he bore our shame and he suffered in our place. He knows all that because he's experienced it there on the cross. So Jesus addresses this one and note, he hasn't really gone toe to toe with them. He hasn't taken the gloves off, but he's about to. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Came from the Father to reconcile them and us to the Father. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. And for the first time in all of these um, discussions and, and interactions, Jesus just tells them like it is. You are of your father, the devil. They say, you're born of fornication, dude. He goes, oh yeah, well, 
fear of the devil. And, and I like that because it's like for, you know, he's been so gracious and I'm so grateful for that. And he's so kind and he's so merciful and he's so patient. And I'm really grateful for all that too. But somebody had to tell these guys, you know, the truth. And he's telling them, you're not of Abraham because you're not walking by faith and obedience. And you're not of the father because if you were of the father, you'd love me. You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. It's why I brought up Eve's temptation, because he's telling us exactly who Satan is and what he does and why he does it. Well, I tell you the truth, but you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. The thing that's a little bit troubling is this all began in verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him. These are the ones who didn't immediately reject him. He's speaking to the group. And then he has to focus on this small group of people who aren't there to believe at all. They're just there to accuse. And who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. They're just there to lie. And who's the lying father of lies? Satan. They are of the devil. And again, it's a reminder that Judas, for all his experience with Jesus, being called by him and discipled by him and empowered and sent out two by two with the others, Judas never committed himself to Christ. He never gave his life to the one who came to die for our sin, buried and risen again. Judas, Jesus will say later, was the son of perdition. And when he died, he went to his own place, not to be with the father, but to be with the, the one who rejected Jesus and rejected the father from the very beginning. If, he says, he who hears God's words, he who is of God hears God's words. Listen. He is defining for us, not just what a disciple is, but what a Christian really is. A real Christian, all these things should be true of. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. He says God's children love both father and son. First John, John will write, he who has the son has the father. He who is not the son of God does not have the father. So, Jesus will say, no one comes to the Father but by me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus comes to glorify the Father. But more than that, he comes to reconcile us to the Father, to redeem us for the Father, and to secure us that our faith in him will be all that we need when we stand before the Father. Well, Satan's offspring hate Jesus. They hate the truth. They hate the light. They're murderers and liars just like him. And again, not saying he has any physical offspring. Satan's a spirit being, but he has those who think like him and act like him and speak like him. And if you're a child of God, you're going to think and act and speak like the God who saved you. 
created you in the first place and then redeemed you when you were dead in trespasses and sin. Today, Pastor Sam began to tell us about the signs that show that we are authentic and true disciples of Jesus. And it all began with abiding in or remaining in his word. If we look a little bit ahead into the book of John, we read in John 15, 4, where Jesus tells us, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What we are told when we are in God's word is the truth. It's reality. And as we accept this reality, we are set free to abide in Jesus himself. And when we abide in Jesus and he abides in us, we can say that we are connected to the vine and we can begin to bear fruit. Not only fruit for others, but the fruit that leads us to eternal life. It is then when we are truly free indeed. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.